Welcome to the Podglomerate. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or was just too hard to ask your partner, welcome to the Sex Wrap. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to The Sex Rep. You're here with Spring and Andrew, your favorite sex advice columnist on the internet, providing you with podcasts full of great information about your questions about sex and relationships and pretty much anything that you want to talk about. Spring, how are you doing this beautiful, beautiful day? I'm so excited. You know, I'm always, we know what the topic is, you know, before we start recording, right? We like talk about it, we think about it. And I get really excited by some topics and I get really excited to record and I'm like, I'm psyched. I'm psyched for this upcoming month. I'm psyched for our topic today. So I'm excited. Yeah, we're doing things a little bit differently in February, listeners. We've received over the years thousands and thousands of questions, and sometimes those questions are hard to answer in one single episode. So what we've done this month is we've lumped together four big categories um, about issues that impact our relationship, sexuality, and sexual health. And those issues are just like the world around us. So not necessarily one specific person, but cultural beliefs or these like omnipresent messages we get from the media. So this month, we're going to be covering four different topics surrounding those issues, those kind of issues. And today we're going to be talking about what patriarchal masculinity is and how it impacts our sexual health and relationships. So this month, I'm calling this like the unseen forces, these unseen forces in the world around us that impact our sexuality. And it's like, hey, wait up. We got to think about these. We got to talk about these. We got to examine these a little bit. And we can forget about them because they're concepts, they're ideas. And sometimes we forget that like these things in our culture can have such strong influences on our individual thoughts, behaviors, actions, you know? So that's what we're getting into this month. These unseen forces. I'm just going to keep saying that because I really like it. These unseen forces on our sexuality. So forces on (laughs) like gravity and electricity. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we're so, not, but we're not talking about gravity. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, th- there is gravity to the concepts we're talking yes, about. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> no, but today it's about patriarchy and how it impacts relationships, sexual health, and spring. When someone says patriarchy, or uh, if somebody says like uh, patriarchal masculinity, what does that mean to you? Well, we're specifically using this term today instead of the term toxic masculinity, um, for a couple of reasons. So one, I think the term patriarchal masculinity is clearer. It's like, we are very specifically talking about this type of masculinity that is focused on, on patriarchy. And what's patriarchy? It's like where men are in charge, right? It's where men have the power. And it's like anything that is emphasizing and allowing that to continue, right? And anything that is not challenging that. And I think that's a nicer term to use than toxic masculinity, because toxic masculinity does a couple of things. I think it kind of like undervalues it kind of just like makes it like a kind of cheap phrase that like we throw around we throw around the word toxic quite a bit we call everything toxic from like actual poison to like a negative comment somebody said or 
you know, even like just looking at a person and we might decide they're toxic for like whatever silly reason. And so this idea of toxicity, I think, um, has gotten a little too overused and doesn't have a lot of meaning anymore. And so we chose today to really talk about patriarchal masculinity and say like, okay, what what are the actual factors, you know, in this type of masculinity that are impacting us and then kind of go through all the different ways they're impacting us. So we're going to be talking about mental health and physical health and relationships and how to challenge it and some of the changes that we'd like to see overall. And, and I sex. agree. Yeah, insect, insects. Yeah. <laughs> So when someone says toxic masculinity or patriarchal masculinity, they're talking very much about the kind of harm that that behavior has. And often people think that it's the harm that it imp that impacts women or non-binary or people of trans experience or LGBTQ folks. But when we talk about patriarchal mas masculinity, we're talking about how it hurts everybody, right? It, it hurts men, it hurts women, it hurts non-binary, but it hurts all of the different categories yeah. of people. And we're gonna be talking about what that looks like my issue with toxic masculinity, I think it's a great concept and it's a great term and it's based on psychology from, from you know, 1960s and 70s when people started doing the research about why men are dying younger and what happens and why we have these high rates of um, suicide in men and high rates of domestic violence against women. And they called it toxic because it's harmful to people. But I think it's really good that we're taking that term away because the term also alienates people too. People feel like you're calling them a name. You think that you're making fun of them. They think that you're labeling them. So today we're just talking about that overarching concept, patriarchal masculinity that incorporates toxic masculinity, toxic femininity, misandry. All of these kind of different terms make a lot of sense when they're housed here. And I kind of want to start by talking about the impacts of patriarchal masculinity on mental health. Because um, yes. it's a place where we don't talk about it too frequently. And if we look overall, patriarchal masculinity has really major negative impacts on people's masculinity and on people's femininity. It's all of that societal pressure to look and act a specific way, regardless of what your sex or gender is. It's patriarchal masculinity that sort of says, like, you have this very narrowly defined box of how you're allowed to act, how you're allowed to, allowed to feel, how you're allowed to look in public the kind of relationships that you're allowed to have, the kind of job that you're allowed to have. Like when you look at patriarchal masculinity, it's the thing that's saying like your entire life is supposed to be this narrow road that you stay on and you have to check all of these boxes. And if you veer off of it at all, you failed somehow, that you're a problem somehow. And all of that pressure, right? All that pressure leads to negative mental health impacts. Like if we look at people who identify as men, trans men and uh, cis men, they have really elevated rates of depression and anxiety and suicide and suicidal ideation. Like all of those things are elevated because of this external pressure to behave, to perform, to look only like one really specific way. And it's so unfair, right? Like, I don't think that anybody, you know, when really asked, like, supports this, right? And like, wants to say, like, this is how I want the world to be. This is the values I want to uphold. But it gets upheld in our culture because it's already there and it has to be challenged to, to change. It has to like be talked about. We have to like examine it. We have to say like, okay, let's look at the way this is impacting me. 
to have a chance to change it. And so that's one of the things we're doing here. Like when we start to say like, okay, let's look at the way that this is really impacting you on several levels, then we can start to say, okay, now we can change it. And one of the really scary things about patriarchal masculinity, it says that you're not supposed to talk about it. You're not supposed to reflect on it. You're supposed to keep it hidden. Which is why, like, you know, most of us have a dad or a father figure in our life. They don't go to the doctor. They're afraid to ask for directions. They won't get help. They won't get mental help. They won't get physical help because they've been trained by this concept that asking for help is a kind of weakness. So it creates all of these barriers. So, like, the concept itself makes it hard to talk about the concept. So, I mean, not for us today. We're going to dig right in. (laughs) Try try, Try to bring those barriers down. But I've been talking mostly about how it negatively impacts, you know, mental health with men, but it also negatively impacts mental health with women. Um, From the time a little girl, like, first gets told to act sweet or act like a lady or keep her legs together or you can't go play in the grass because you're wearing a dress or you're supposed to play with a doll or you can't be a policeman or a firefighter when you grow up because girls don't do that. Like, the messages from it negatively impact women from the moment, like, before they understand those words and then every day for the rest of their life. It's all about, you know, societal inequalities. And it makes it tries to make those inequalities okay, right? We don't talk about them. It's just a normal fact of life that there are all of these differences. And it reduces the number of opportunities that women have over their lifespan, cis women and trans women. Um, because once again, that, that really narrow road or that really small box that you're supposed to exist in causes stress and strain on your mental health over your life lifespan. I mean, that that's really when we're talking about the impacts of mental health and patriarchal masculinity, it's restriction. It restricts how you can present how you can act, how you can love, the relationships that you can have, what you're supposed to look like, the job that you have, like the hobbies that you engage in. All of those things are sort of being narrowed down to a, a very small number of like societally okay things for you to engage in, regardless of your sex, gender, and sexual orientation. And, you know, we're talking about mental health. We're talking about like all these ways it's impacting and and this body image part of this is really big for for everyone you know people that identify as more mask there's a lot of like expectation to like be this dominating like male figure which often has more muscles and is taller and if you don't fit that stereotype then like you aren't part of this. You're not allowed to be part of this. You're not allowed to engage in this societal structure, right? And then it becomes like, that's where we're seeing even more depression and impacts. And then we see the same thing for people who identify as femme. Like there is that objectification, there is expectations of the way bodies are supposed to look um, that also is severely impacting someone's own relationship to their body and their eating and exercise behaviors and and then how how their self-esteem is. And, and self-esteem is like highly related to like self-care activities, right? If you have lower self-esteem, you're less likely to take care of yourself in any number of ways. So like the trickle of like how this impacts us is is just level after level after level. And so it's so important for us to like sit down and examine this and say, wait a minute, like, do I want to choose to be part of this system? Do I want to choose to believe in that? And allow it to impact me in this way. A place where you can see it happen That's not necessarily about sex, but like if you look at elected officials in the United States, women's appearance 
the colors that they wear, their hairstyles get commented on all of the time, right? And it doesn't matter if we're looking at like local, state, federal. And men, almost no one ever mentions how they look or what they're wearing. Like there's just like this double standard where for a woman to even have a voice, right? She has to pass all of these additional barriers. And for a man to have a voice, he has to be taller and muscular. It's like there's all of these weird little attachments we have that you have to successfully get through that are linked to patriarchal masculinity. But we do need to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to start talking about how patriarchal masculinity impacts your relationships, your sex life. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the episode, everybody. Today we are talking about the impacts of patriarchal patriarchal masculinity on ourselves, our self concept. Spring was just talking about how your self-image is really important uh, for you and self-care. So uh, we've been talking about, you know, how it impacts you in your daily life, how it impacts the jobs that you can have, how it impacts how much money you make over your lifespan. It's a powerful force. And most of the time we don't think about it. We don't see it. But when you start looking around, like I mentioned, uh, people in politics, just watch what happens when there's a woman on stage. It's about what she looks like. Uh, and watch when a man's on stage, no one ever mentions his attire. Like it pops up everywhere. So when we start to think about like, you know, this in other areas of our life, we can start to see it in work. We can start to see it in our social sphere. We start to see it in our relationships. And, and I think like, you know, we can spend Andrew and I could spend an hour like on each aspect of this. We could have, you know, there's so much to say. And I really, I really want to get to the sex part, sex and sex and relationships. But let's just spend a moment on like in the rest of our lives. So like in the rest of our lives, how how is it impacting us? And you know, I think most of us can probably think of an example from our work lives where we have seen people treated differently based on their gender, where we have seen people have different expectations of what they can do in a job or in a role based on their gender. And we've also probably seen, you know, these ideas of like what what we think something is supposed to look like based on ideas of gender as well. And I think like it's really nice for instead of us to also feed all of these examples for you, like I would encourage you to just pause the podcast for a moment and like start to think like how how is the patriarchy impacting my work life? Like, can I think of my specific job where I work and like how people are treated unfairly or treated with different expectations based on their gender? And that's, that's the type of like examination that patriarchy doesn't want us to do, but that is the most valuable for you and for the people around you. Oh my gosh. I know you're telling other people to think of examples. Can I give you two real quick that I see in my everyday life? Yes. So y'all know. <laughs> Spring and I are both professors and I work in a school of nursing. I'm not a nurse. And when I look at nursing as a profession overall, 80, 90% of the people, probably more than that, are women. And then if we look at who the bosses are and who the deans are and who's running the show and who like who has most of the positions of power and authority, it's mostly men. And another place, I get to go to graduation twice a year. I get to dress in a giant 
velvet cupcake gown in a midnight blue with silver and gold trim. It's my, like, you know, my garb for being a professor. And I get to watch what happens. And I look at that stage, right? So I work at an institute of higher education that talks all the time about diversity and inclusion and empowerment. And when I look at that stage, right, there's probably 40 or 50 people on it. There are deans and board of trustee members and special speakers and there might be three women out of like 40 or 50 people on that whole stage, right? Like, so I have this visual reminder of what patriarchy is, both in my work life, when I'm housed in my school, right? There's some real power imbalances. It's a female dominated field, but men have most of the power and authority. Or I'm at a university and I look at that stage and most of those people sitting on the stage are men. And since I've been here at UM for 10 years, there have been some changes. There are more women on that stage today, but it's a really slow process um, in that workspace to make those long-lasting changes to patriarchal masculinity and what that looks like inside of your work life. But it's there. I'm, I'm certain every single listener, if you like, you know, paused like Spring said and thought about your workplace, you would start to notice that there are these imbalances, there are these differences, these are there are disparities and power and control and pay and representation. And that's what it looks like when it plays out. So it's not just a psychological concept. It impacts every aspect of our day-to-day life. Okay. Now let's get into our interpersonal relationships. These relationships we're having with friends, these relationships we're having with partners when we're dating. And this is where something we're going to talk a little bit about gender roles. And a gender role is kind of like the expectations that we have of a specific gender in a specific situation. So when we're talking about gender roles here, we're specifically talking about like dating situations. And so like, you know, when someone's in a romantic relationship, the gender role is like what society's expectations are of that gender in that relationship. So for example, if you think about someone going on a dating app, we have these patriarchal norms saying that like the men are supposed to start the conversation. They're supposed to like be the first message. They're supposed to be the one that's going to actually ask out on the date. They're supposed to choose where they're going, what the date's going to be, what's going to happen. They're probably expected to pay. They're probably expected to try to kiss the person at the end of the date. And like, and that is like, a gender role expectation of like what patriarchy thinks just going on a first date is supposed to look like. Sounds so exhausting. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry to all of our heterosexual men listeners out there, Um, but that's what the gender roles are. They are exhausting. And if you actually talk to most people about them, people do not have a lot of fun inside of those little boxes. Um, I'm really also glad I'm not dating. And I think it's even worse in online dating scenarios too what it actually looks like, that who will pay. And I think the other piece is that there's sexual expectations that happen on the other side too. Like if a man, most of the time it's men who are who are producing a date, who are producing the content, the location, they're producing the capital to make it happen. And they're producing it all with that expectation of sex on the other side, which means that, you know, instead of it being like a warm, intimate relationship where you're getting to know somebody, you're turning it into like transactional culture where somebody is going through the motions with the expectation that they get something on the other side. It's really just like sex work with some extra steps thrown in the middle. And and then so 
like, why is this a problem? Like, let's talk about that. So like, first of all, there's a lot of pressure on, and when we're talking about a heterosexual interaction on the masculine partner, right. To like do all of these things to like take on all of this work, all of this effort, all of these roles. But then on the other side of that, like then, you know, for example, if I identify as femme and I'm on a dating app, and if I ask someone on a date, sometimes they get mad at me, or sometimes they'll be like, "Why? Why are you so aggressive?" Right? <laughs> because just because I'm stepping outside of that role, and so like it. And then if I don't do that, if I'm like waiting and waiting for somebody else to make the first move, then like I can also start to feel bad about myself. I can start to feel like, oh, this person hasn't made this move yet. But like it's probably just because they're exhausted of making the first move. Right. But gender roles and society and the patriarchy tell me I should feel bad about myself because somebody hasn't made that first move or because or because someone didn't pay on the first date. Right. When I think. That's not what I believe, right? Like, I don't believe that if I go on a date with a man that he needs to pay for that date. But because society and patriarchy are telling me that, then I might feel bad if I don't get my date paid for, right? And then we're setting up not only this like kind of cycle for like (laughs) dating and for like the way we're feeling and like, but we're also, we're contributing to it. And not even on purpose, right? We're just like, we're like, oh, this is the way it's supposed to happen. Oh no, it's not happening that way. Oh no, now I feel bad about myself. Like all of these things are so cyclical that the challenge to break out of them is very difficult. Like it, like we do need to say like, okay, if you identify as femme or like if you aren't the one that normally is asking someone out, like practice doing it and actually also practice saying like, I would really like to ask you out because of this reason, this reason, and this reason. And I don't think that it should always land on this specific type of person in a relationship to do so. And so I'm asking you out and I, I hope that that makes you feel good. You know, like actually giving some voice to some of the process, I think, is really valuable because then it starts to take away the power of the patriarchy. When we start to say, like, I'm doing this because I want to and I'm excited by you and I I think we could have a great time and I don't think it should be your job to ask me out. And we can look at other countries and cultures around the world that have lower rates of interpersonal violence, lower rates of rape and sexual assault, lower rates of suicide for men. And what we'll see is that first dates and second dates and third dates, you just split them right down the middle. They call it going Dutch because in the Netherlands, it's unheard of for somebody on a date to turn like, we're trying to get to know each other. We're trying to build a relationship. We're trying to have some kind of intimacy. We're trying to have a conversation and turn it into like a financial transaction where someone is now paying for somebody else, creating imbalance in that relationship at the very beginning. Because that's what the patriarchy is doing, right? It's trying to create imbalance. It's trying to create dominance. And that dominance doesn't end at the end of that first date, right? That dominance goes, or that imbalance goes to the bedroom after the first date, and it moves into the second date and the third date. And it becomes a permanent fixture inside of that relationship where there's expectations where one person is going to produce romance or produce something that the other person consumes. And the other person who's consuming it is expected to have a whole different set of rules and regulations regarding 
regarding their behaviors inside of that relationship. It's almost like, you know, paying for that first date is going to cause long lasting subservience or long lasting, you know, the other person not giving voice or the other person letting the dominant personality, you know, take control of what that relationship looks like while you're on the date and after the date too. Like that toxicity continues throughout the entire thing. And we don't even think about it most of the time. Like I have a lot of women friends who would be really, really upset if a man didn't pay the date on the first date, right? Femme friends have that expectation because society has told them like for this to be worth your time, someone else has to pay for what's going on. And then they wonder why, you know, they've been on a thousand dates in the past five years and they still aren't with somebody consistently. And it's because society has set them up with those expectations. Those expectations lead them to be not successful in finding a partner because they're not actually looking for a dominant person to control situations who's going to pay money, right? Because they're paying money for favor, they want someone to have a loving, intimate relationship with and patriarchal masculinity gets in the way of those kind of relationships most of the time. And, you know, because it does boil down to this like very transactional um, relationship when we're talking about it in this way, these first dates, it can also become very scary for the femme partner. Like I, I have been on a first date where the man pays and then I don't want to continue the date anymore because I feel like he's expecting me to have sex. And so like, even if I'm interested and I might've otherwise had sex with him on the first date, I don't want to because I feel afraid of the expectations and like what they might think is supposed to happen just based on the fact that they paid. and it like can it can really impact you know what someone feels comfortable doing and interacting with someone just because because there's so much expectation built around that i mean it's those power imbalances that make it difficult sometimes for people to navigate consent right like there's this power imbalance baked into the entire relationship and someone will feel like well since they paid for all of this and they planned it i feel like i have to do this thing and feeling like you have to do a thing and going through that gender script of going be- because you feel like you have to takes away a lot of the agency surrounding the femme partner. Most of the time, the femme partner um, we see inside of these relationships. And it's also linked to like, you know, as we move from that date, if people start to have sex, they're more likely to be emotional disconnects. Often we'll see that there's issues with relationship satisfaction as well. Like you move into this relationship and you feel like there's this power imbalance and you're less happy. And then if we actually start talking about sex, which we will do after we take a break, we (laughs) see that there are some real issues with a lack of like fun during sex or fantasy during sex, like last week's episode, or playfulness or even something like aftercare because of this dynamic that happens under patriarchal masculinity. But we do need to take a short break. Uh, We'll keep talking about it when we get back. Thank you for listening, everybody. (laughs) Welcome back to our episode. We are exploring the influences of patriarchal masculinity in our lives. And we've been talking about dating and what that looks like overall. 
And just a few other thoughts before we move on. Um, you know, with dating, it reduces the total number of partners. It reduces intimacy. It reduces the way that you talk with people, approach people. It reduces the way you swipe people. It makes it so a lot of the ways that we interact are based just on visual instead of actual like in-depth conversations with people. It's messy. And, you know, we were kind of focusing a little bit more on heterosexual relationships, but the patriarchal values like do impact queer relationships as well. I would say like there is a little bit more pushback in queer relationships, but it's still so strong that like, you know, somebody within a queer relationship might be more dominant in any number of ways and then still feel like they have to do these things under this patriarchal gender role situation that we're talking about here. And it's like, it's not even, you know, conscious. It's like, this is like the role I'm kind of like feeling in this relationship and then it is still impacting you. And so it's, it's the, the way that this runs is so deep in our culture that it, it gets to all types of relationships. And I think like, as we're moving into the sexual component, like this definitely impacts, you know, more than just heterosexual relationships. Like when we start to think about the pressure of um, people with a penis to like always be ready to have sex, always to be like hard at a moment's notice, right? Like ready to just fuck. <laughs> that's like, that's what the patriarchy says people with a penis are supposed to be able to do. And it doesn't matter what type of person you're having sex with, like that pressure is on people with a penis, like all the time. Always. And I can tell you, as somebody who has a penis, there are lots of days where you are too tired, you are too, if you've been out drinking, just too exhausted or too not in the right mood, or you just want to watch another episode of a television show, or you <laughs> just want to cuddle, or, you know, like, there's a million reasons why. Sometimes you're just not in the mood, and it's okay, but patriarchal masculinity says men always have to be in the mood, and they always have to be able to get hard, and they always have to make the first move, and they always have to be interested, and they always have to keep trying, too. Like if a partner says they don't want it because of patriarchal masculinity, they're like, well, I'll try again later. Or do you want a back rub? And the back rub is obviously just a foray into trying to get sex. Like there's so many negative aspects of how men experience sexuality, male partners, because of patriarchal masculinity. I'm going to back up for one second. I have so many gay friends who started out as like pink haired, loud, defiant And then patriarchal masculinity slowly like seeps into their bones and now they want a white picket fence and they want a partner and they want two beautiful kids that sit on the stoop and they want like just like all of these fantasies surrounding futures that we have are also part of this patriarchal masculinity, that very narrow view of what success looks like in life and in relationships and sex. All right. But let's hop back into sex. Yeah. The pressure to perform for men is out of control. Right. And if we look, if we talk to men about sex, uh, especially younger young men about sex, like what does their sexual relationship look like? And often they'll say like, well, it feels nice. And I have a ton of anxiety. 
like a ton of sexual anxiety. Every act I have with every person, I feel like I'm going to let them down. I feel like if I'm not hard enough, fast enough, if I don't last long enough, it's going to negatively impact me and my reputation and the view of myself from this point forward, which is one of the reasons why we have so many men who have longstanding both erectile dysfunction and rapid ejaculation, right? These are both parts of the anxiety that comes from this kind of patriarchal masculinity. And like, and you know, we're thinking about the penis here and like, let's also just talk about male ejaculation as like, you know, this idea of like sexual activity is over when the penis ejaculates, or this is the only thing we're trying to get to. We're trying to get to this penis ejaculated and we're going to do all we can to make that happen. And then once it happens, the sexual activity is done. And, um, this, this is horrible for everybody involved, right? This is horrible for any gender of person that is engaging in the sexual activity. It's putting so much pressure on the person with the penis and, and that can be overwhelming, right? It can, and like that can make it feel like a not fun sexual activity to be a part of. And if the focus is all on that penis, then what the heck is happening for that other person, right? And this is like such a negative impact. It's like overwhelmingly negative. Like we have to keep challenging this notion. We have to like think of sex more broadly. We have to think, you know, and we talk about this a lot on the show about, you know, sexual activity is like starting like from the like flirting and the foreplay and all of these are parts of sexual activity and it doesn't have to finish just when an ejaculation happens or when an orgasm happens for any gender of partner, right? The orgasm is not what it's all about. There's so much more to a sexual interaction that is so valuable for the people engaging in it. And if we remove, you know, these ideas of orgasm being the end of it, then everybody gets to have more fun. Everybody gets to be more playful and gets to experience more different types of joy and pleasure in their bodies. Right. So we're talking about like this kind of patriarchy, right? Patriarchal masculinity is what creates that goal-oriented sex. And that goal-oriented sex is one-sided most of the time. We could talk about, you know, I mentioned erectile dysfunction. I I talked about rapid or premature ejaculation. We could also talk about something like faking orgasms or, you know, I have female friends who have not had an orgasm for years with their partner and they're afraid to tell them because they feel trapped by patriarchal masculinity, but they still go along with it because they're into that sex script in that gender role. We we should also talk more about how it impacts women's sexual autonomy, right? So we talk a lot about, uh, most of the time we talk about how toxic masculinity, patriarchal masculinity negatively impact women, but it also negatively impacts their sexuality overall. If we ask women about sex, they have a lot of shame and fear and guilt surrounding it, but it also reduces their sexual autonomy. Like, we read about it and women experience their sexual awakenings in their 50s most of the time. <laughs> it takes until they're 50 years old to start asking for what they want, for being a little bit more dominant in bed, for starting to explore their sexual fantasies because they spend their first 40-something years of life under this umbrella of patriarchal masculinity, which tells them that they're not allowed or they're not supposed to, or that will slut shame them for even saying they want to try something new or different. And, and it's a lifelong quest for many women to sort of break out of the, the that little box, that prison that Spring was talking about earlier in their episode to get what they want from sex, to ask for it. 
Even something as simple as asking for aftercare can be really hard for women who are under the umbrella of patriarchal masculinity. It can be really, really hard. And and this is why women for, fake orgasms, right? Like it's because of the patriarchy. It's because I have to pretend like I've gotten an orgasm so that this other partner feels successful so that they feel like we've accomplished the goal of this and that I can now move on with my life, <laughs> right? And there's, if we didn't have this goal-oriented sexuality, which is what patriarchy is telling us, then there would be no need to ever fake an orgasm, right? So like, and we, we have an episode very recently where we were talking about the problems with faking orgasms and like how much that can impact your sexuality and your relationship and the sex that you're having with a partner and like all of these things, patriarchy, that's why. This, this patriarchy sort of seeps into all aspects of our relationships and dating and sex life. And the thing is, it doesn't have to, but it's going to take a long time and a lot of work and a lot of thinking to sort of break out of that prison. And it's like one bar at a time and you take like one little toe out, you giggle a little bit and like, oh my gosh, life was so much better. Sort of <laughs> getting rid of this control, right? Because it's control over you and your sex and your sexuality and not just women's, right? It controls men's in the same kind of negative ways that it controls women's. Um, it doesn't help anybody out long term when we're looking at relationships and sex. It makes everybody's relationships, everybody's intimacy, and everybody's sex a little worse, or a lot worse, or terrible. Any of those. <laughs> so, yes, it can be risky to call these things out, right? Because it is like you are challenging the norm, you're challenging, you know, things that we've been taught. But the more and more we do this, the easier it gets. The more that we talk about it, the easier it gets for each of us personally. But also the more voices saying it, then the more momentum we build and the more and more things can change. And it's like, it's a process. It's not, it doesn't happen overnight, right? But the more people that we fire up with information and saying like, I don't want my life to be this way, then the more we have a chance to make bigger and bigger changes. And it takes a little bit of courage. It takes knowing when to fight your fights, like places you fight your battles versus places you don't fight your battles. It takes looking at red flags and other people and doing a little assessment during dating and being like, I'm not interested in engaging in a, a patriarchal masculine relationship. And, in, and start small, right? Like it's, it's small steps that you take every day in your life that helps you break free and it's this kind of slow, uncomfortable process at the beginning, too. Like, you find freedoms, but you also find a lot of discomfort. Like, I don't like media. I don't like television. I don't like movies. I don't like a lot of music. And it's because in my head, I'm constantly thinking about this. And I'm like, ugh, this show is just reifying patriarchal masculinity. It's just making life worse for people. Like, sure, you might giggle a little bit, but it's saying, like, this is how the world is. And we're laughing at this joke about the way the world is. But it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and there are examples of movies, like, obviously, there are examples of all of those things that, you know, sort of get around or are commentary on it. Like, I didn't think I was going to like the Barbie movie, but the Barbie movie gave me life because it's it's this entire episode. It's talking about the problems of this episode in a very funny sort of tongue in cheek way. Watch the Barbie movie. That's that's a great <laughs> first step. <laughs> wow, I didn't I didn't even have to say it. <laughs> 
Miss Barbie over here. Miss Bar- <laughs> Sorry, like, Dr. Barbie. Dr. Barbie. She, she sent me a Snapchat of her favorite car. It was a Barbie pink car. <laughs> OMG. Anytime and- I see a pink car, I freak out. <laughs> uh, she lives in New York City. People there don't own cars. So these are like pipe dreams for the future. <laughs> All right. But challenging it takes work. Challenging it takes risk. And there are a lot of rewards. Uh, this is one of those things where like, I look at the next generation and y'all are doing so good. Like if you're, if you're like a non-millennial, like the next generation, is that Gen Z, Gen X, Zoomers? Yeah, Gen Z. Like you're the ones who are inspiring us to make these kind of changes because you're so good at it and you're so much better at calling it out. We make fun of social media a lot on our show, but social media has done a really good job of starting to point out these differences in other populations. So thank you, listeners. Thank you, Gen Z. Thank you, millennials and boomers who stand up for making these kind of changes. But like, it's small changes, but we all sort of have to make them together and be a little bit daring as one. I'm so excited for our future. Me too. I have, I have a lot of a, a lot of hope that we're going to make these changes. So Spring and I do it all the time. We want to hear from all of you. And we're going to have some questions on our social media this week asking about like, what do you do to challenge the status quo about dating and the status quo about patriarchy and the status quo about toxic misandry and toxic misogyny and toxic all of these other factors. Um, and we're really excited to hear from you and talk to you there. So check out our stories this week. We'll be talking about it a lot. Anything Thank else we you. need to cover today? I'm no, I'm just like so excited for people to start to take these little steps. And if you're already doing steps, like take more, keep doing it. It's important for us to all do. Yeah. And everybody can make these steps, right? You can't say someone's unable to. I've helped my parents slowly baby step along. They don't listen to the show, thankfully, so I can talk about them. (laughs) But they've made these little baby steps and they're doing better and better all the time talking about like what they can do to make sure that their granddaughters have a world that they would be happy to live in. I'm happy to live in this world with you, Spring, and I'm so happy we get to make these episodes. And I hope that everybody listening today feels a little bit better about the world. You can take a little step forward and start breaking these chains and have a happier, healthier, more fulfilling sexual life. Yes. (laughs) thank you everybody thanks everyone if you have any questions about this episode or any follow-up we'd love to hear from you you should check out our instagram um we're at the sex rap that's w-r-a-p you can dm us there we're really active you can also email us we're the sex rap at gmail.com and you can uh give us a phone call at 413 i wrap it thanks for listening everyone bye for everything that you were too afraid to ask at home too embarrassed to ask at school or just two of music for this episode provided by the ever elusive and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.